You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy, with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Watt Watchers, providing super smart devices to monitor and manage energy use, and SolarAy, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring. Hello and thanks for joining our weekly podcast. This is Energy Insiders and uh, my name is Giles Parkinson, joined as I am every week by David Leach from ITK. David, how are you? Well, Giles, I'm particularly excited. Apparently the family is going to Book of Mormons, which I'm told is the most exciting musical ever to hit the shores in Australia. And uh, so welcome to you and the audience and also to our special guest this week. Indeed. I'm going to introduce my our special guest in a moment, but sorry, is the family going to Book of Mormons and you're missing out or are you all going? Uh, no, I, apparently I'm going as well and you know, <laughs> we've got uh, good seats, so I'm, I'm looking forward to an entertaining evening. Terrific. Um, look, I'd just like to welcome our new guest, um, our guest this week, um, Bruce Mountain from Carbon and Energy Economics. Um, Bruce, thanks for joining us. Yeah, hi. Um, hi, Giles. Look, it's been a pretty big week. We've got a lot to talk about as usual. Um, Bruce, I'm going to get straight back into you. What do you make of last week's Energy Summit? It was the second that we had in a few weeks. It was Malcolm Turnbull talking up um, his action to reduce prices for consumers. It was about asking, as far as I could, as far as I could get, it was about asking energy CEOs to inform customers when they're going to get screwed on prices. Um, and one particular figure struck at me was that um, Malcolm Turnbull said that two million people were paying more than they needed to, presumably referring to those people in standing offices. offers. Um, I guess my argument is that almost everyone in Australia is paying way more than they need to for electricity prices. Bruce, um, what did you make of it? Uh, yes, um, look, it's the start of the Prime Minister getting involved in electricity supply. We've seen something quite similar in Britain over the last five years. A uh, range of Prime Ministers um, have been opining on energy and saying they're going to sort it out, and that's now come here too. Um, look, uh, how he worked out that two million are paying too much, I don't really know. Uh, it seems to be uh, that's their estimate of the people on standing offers. Um, but as I found in my work for the Thwaites Review, um, it doesn't really matter whether you're on market or standing offers. Um, there seems to be a pretty clear picture if you're a customer of one of the larger retailers, you're typically paying more than if you're a customer of one of the smaller ones. Perhaps sort of somewhat similar as to what you, you, you see in other sectors of the economy. But um, I think it's uh, not a standing market offer issue. I think the issue is far more complex than that. What do you think they can do about it? Um, look, we are in this quandary at the moment. We've created a retail electricity market. I think um, I think the hope was that it would all be a lot simpler than it's turned out to be. It's a market that's, that uh, is best sort of seen or known as one with very high search costs. If you're a customer, figuring out who's offering the best deal is, is just not easy at all. And um, as a consequence, people make mistakes. The tools don't exist for them to effectively um, engage in the market. Uh, and so there is competition. There's lots of entry. There's lots of new entrant retailers. But, um, but it's hard I mean, to there's, imagine. There's competition, in the telco, 
Yes, there's competition in the telco market as well. But I mean, as we've seen, sort of in that market, confusion is profit. Um, David, actually, Charles, to- I, I think it's pretty well known what the uh, causes are. Initially, it's the network prices has gone up. Network prices have gone up because there's been investment while consumption falls. So the megawatts per dollar of invested networks has has declined and and that automatically pushes prices up. And because that's a regulated monopoly, it's it's quite hard to undo that effectively. Secondly, uh, we've had the retirement of coal-fired generation and that's been replaced by gas. And gas is basically more expensive than coal. Thirdly, we've had over a period of 15 to 20 years increasing vertical and horizontal integration so that the big three retailers control over 50% of the retail market, they control 50% of the generation market, and they probably control about 85% of the gas transport contracts. And all of those things add up to high prices. Now, we also, leaving aside networks that things can't be done about quickly, Uh, by far, and we've discussed this several times, it continues to be the obvious answer, notwithstanding Malcolm Turnbull's efforts to get people off standing contracts, which are at the margin useful, but the main way to get uh, um, generation prices down is to get new supply into the market. That's blindingly obvious to everyone from an economist to the man in the street. And new supply would be renewable energy too. And it was interesting to see that a report from Schneider came out during the week, which is yet another one which talked about the gaming of the wholesale prices, which, as you say, um, comes from the domination of the market. It's all quite perfectly legal, apparently, but um, it's just the ability of these people to use their market power. And they argued that it was pushing up prices by $35 a megawatt hour in New South Wales. I think we could probably argue that happens all over the country. And I guess we've seen that in Queensland because those generators are state-owned. And when they were told to desist in this sort of bidding practice, um, wholesale prices came down quite quickly. As well as new investment, we could somehow foster more competition. The new investment needs to be by new entrants, and we need to foster these independent retailers that Bruce points out generally charge lower prices. But new retailers have generally had a difficult time surviving in the market uh, unless they're backed by big parents. So one example of a good new entrant perhaps is, is say, for instance, PowerShop, which is backed by Meridian out of New Zealand. So... That's the sort of thing we need more of those guys. Yeah. Bruce, what, 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 do you, what would be a couple of things that you would do um, immediately to actually have a big effect on prices? Look, um, perhaps I'll just firstly take issue slightly with that um, causality of prices. It does really vary based on customer size. If you're large enough to afford a consultant or an advisor to help you to engage in the market, I think your retail charges are probably pretty reasonable and you're paying something around wholesale plus network and then the network wholesale differences really matter and they vary across the states. But what I found in my Thwaites review looking at 686 actual bills is for the typical customer the retailer's charge, the charge for selling electricity was the greatest uh, part of the bill. It was more than the charge for network and it was more than the charge to actually produce. Um, so it's it's this uh, sort of outcome of the retail market, which is really distinct and not well understood. Um, the, the Thwaites review was really the only, uh, if you like, proper rigorous analysis based on actual bills, not on a sort of view as to what the retail market is offering, but analysing actual bills. 
And I think that needs to be done in the rest of the country to really start mm. to understand. One of the things that your Thwaites review actually came across was the high prices in South Australia. And you know, it's in the mid 40 cents a, a, a kilowatt hour. And I guess a lot of this was attributed to the, um, you know, oh, this, this must be the case because it's got um, so much um, renewable energy. Um, did your study actually find that, come to that same conclusion? Yeah, my my um, work for for John Thwaites didn't really focus on on SA, but separately I have looked at it. Um, SA, it seems to me, there are retail issues. The bigger issue, I think, is vertical integration and the dominance of gas, and network uh, costs are not low, largely as a consequence of a relatively small sales volume. Um, that they have to get back relatively large network costs. But the big issue there is, I think, gas and the exercise of market power and the fact that there's vertical integration, almost zero opportunity for new entrants to hedge wholesale price exposure other than by owning generation. And I think those factors come together. I don't think it's got anything whatsoever to do with the penetration of wind and solar. In fact, it seems to me that... Um, you know, the high penetration of wind and solar uh, has got nothing to do with explaining high wholesale prices in SA. In fact, exactly to the contrary, it's well known that when the sun is shining, the wind is blowing, or either and all, uh, that brings wholesale prices down because effectively it decreases the amount of electricity to be met by, uh, you know, the remaining gas plant and imports. And uh, we see that in South Australia, as we see in other countries with uh, very large amounts of wind and solar. In, in, in fact, it's an interesting observation. Um, the, the countries with large amounts of wind and, and solar, and particularly wind in Europe, are often the ones blamed um, um, with high electricity prices. And it's, it suggests, well, um, the high electricity prices are the fault of um, the wind and, and solar. But in fact, usually these countries are going for wind and solar because they already have high electricity prices. Or in the cases of Germany and Denmark, they've actually got high, they use electricity as a, um, one of their sources of main tax revenues. And in fact, it's even, it's, it's even more than that. You, you see in the United States that often renewables are blamed for gas having to leave the system because gas now loses its, uh, uh, its role as the, for shoulder supply. And in fact, that's exactly what we want to happen in Australia. Exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. At this point, I'd just like to uh, thank our sponsors, uh, Solaray Energy, who've been here right from the start, our founding sponsor, and we thank them very much. And also our new sponsor, Wattwatchers, who've also come on board. So um, thank you very much to those. David, let's go forward a bit to the coming week. Um, a couple of big announcements, and I think they're going to be quite crucial this week. AEMO coming out with two reports. One is the ESO, which is the sort of energy opportunities, um, which is something that they do every year, but it's going to be particularly of interest to sort of work out what they need or what they think we need down the track. Oh, let's go. The second report is going to be a specific response to a report, a, a question put to them by the government about what do we need in the way of basic load and dispatchable generation and it's going to be interesting to see what they come up with because I think this is going to be absolutely crucial in the way that the clean energy target if we do get one is framed. Um, what are you expecting or hoping that AEMO might say? Well first of all I want to talk about incentives here. We need to remember that 
networks have incentives or used to have incentives to talk demand down. That way they could get uh, higher prices. In the same way, AEMO is basically incentivized to maximize system security. So they have uh, an incentive to forecast that there's basically going to be a shortage of supply or an increase in demand because that forces the system to respond to that and there's no downside to AEMO and only upside from having excess supply. So you need always need to bear in mind with any consultant's report, uh, why are they producing that report and what are their incentives? And after you've got that fixed, then you can go on to look at what they're going to say. Now, in this case, what they're going to say is that there's going to be a big risk of a, a big, big risk of a problem. I, that's the that's the grapevine is that they're going to be quite worried about this coming summer, because that's just protecting their ass, quite frankly. Let's, uh, now, as to what they say about uh, base load and dispatchable energy going forward, uh, I'm not quite sure that really comes to the work or should properly be part of the work that's done about the gener generator reliability obligation. And uh, I guess we all have our own views on that, but it's Im nearly impossible to see with the amount of renewables, and I'm talking about wind and PV, that Australia has in the, in the broad name, not in South Australia, but in the broad name, that there's going to be any kind of systematic system problem in the next few years. We, we actually are still only producing about 9, 10, 11% at the most wind and PV, which is below just about every other major region in the world. Um, Bruce, what's your take on this? What do you think AEMA is going to come up with and how, how critical do you think, um, how important is, is it going to be? Uh, I think David's take on it is very sensible. I think understanding the incentives of the party is very important. Uh, look, I'm not convinced there's a capacity problem in Australia. Uh, the, the, the sort of major issues we've had have been linked to weather. There have been a couple of close shaves mostly linked to existing capacity not producing, not a lack of capacity. So personally, I'm somewhat sceptical there's an issue. I also share David's view that the penetration of wind and solar is nowhere near large enough to be dire. Um, I think EMO is in So a if AEMO say that, one, will they say that and will they make that clear? And if they do make that clear, will that then end the push for um, new baseload coal, which seems to be the big thing that's getting in the way of any policy um, improvement at the moment? Look, I think EMO deserves a lot of credit over many years for being relatively technical and impartial. Um, I think they've got an enlightened chief executive and uh, I think they will call things as they see them. Um, so, having said all that, I think David's David's uh, certain warning of incentives is part of the backdrop. I think you know more generally we are we are in a market, but we're now making ever greater reference to emo as a central planner to determine what should or shouldn't happen, and. Um, this is kind of interesting, but it's still the private sector that's going to make all the big decisions. Um, perhaps government will, will, through its incentives, make stuff happen. But um, uh, we are definitely moving, it seems, from one regime to the other. Mm -hmm. It's worth bearing in mind, Charles, that um, lightning doesn't strike twice and always because people react very quickly to what happened last summer. So we've got a lot more gas for Pelican Point as far as South Australia goes, and the Haywood interconnector 
we can expect to be more reliable this, this summer. It's another year in. Up in Queensland, we've got Swan Bank E, another gas generator that's uh, now got some gas to, to operate. Uh, we've got a few more wind farms up and running. So, uh, and we've got some exciting demand management schemes that um, ARENA has already got funded for this year and there'll be a lot more for next year. And, 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 and so I think, you know, things are not going to be quite as dire as you might expect. It does depend on the weather, of course, mm. and demand. And it also, we do face a significant risk. And one of the things that people don't, we should mention more often about fossil fuel generation in Australia is there aren't very many of the little buggers, you know, or actually they're big, dirty big buggers. If one of the ones in Victoria goes out, your lawn, which is, you know, uh, error prone, then that is really going to put a spanner in the works. Well, that's exactly right. And that's what we saw last year um, in some of those events in New South Wales and Queensland. And um, we saw Liddell, half its capacity disappear. And we then we saw the two big gas generators going off um, right at the um, height of the um, heat waves. And we saw the same thing in South Australia as well. Look, there's no doubt that this, this, this summer and the next summer are going to be interesting to see what happens there. I mean, there's, as you say, there's been the de demand management uh, initiatives which are coming into play, both the ones um, brought in by EMO itself and encouraged by EMO itself, plus the other market rules which are coming in courtesy of the AER. We're seeing that battery storage um, coming in with Tesla and the other 30 megawatt one which will be ready at the end of summer um, in South Australia. Um, it's interesting that Tesla have actually come up with them. Um, they're, they're flagging some big announcement on um, September 29th. Um, at the Tesla big battery. I'm not too sure what it's going to be. Possibly it will be its grid connection and give them 100 days to complete it. Um, but I guess, um, and, and it's true that um, this summer is going to be about sort of managing it. And, and, and we've seen AEMO get more conservative in the way that it's managing the grid just this last weekend. It basically put a constraint on the interconnector because there was high winds blowing in South Australia. So it took the precautions that many argued it should have taken um, last September um, when the system black event occurred. I guess my, and I'd like to sort of probe this a little bit more, if AEMO come out this week and say, look, we don't actually need that much, or if any, baseload um, in the future, in the long term in the future, and it's all about dispatchable generation, will that help turn the conversation in Canberra and um, in, in, in the industry, because at the moment it's getting bogged down by this idea that somehow we need coal, um, even though few people in the industry actually believe that. Uh, well, well, I'll, I'll turn it over. It's really for, uh, a bit interested in Bruce's views, but I want to point out there's been, it, firstly, it's not just AEMO's uh, view that's important. It actually does go to the Energy Security Board, which has just been established actually to answer those questions. Uh, and secondly, uh, we've seen all this work being done by Melbourne University as part of the Finkel Review uh, that looked at things like inertia uh, uh, to, to consider all of those things. So I think myself, it's more about politics uh, than the, the reality, but I'm, I'd be interested to hear what Bruce has got to say. Bruce, what do you reckon? Um, I think I find myself on the same page as, uh, you, know, as you both again. Um, Look, I think for some it doesn't matter who says what. As my grandmother says, don't argue with a mug. I think some simply will not be convinced about um, the merits or not of baseload. They've got a view. They've got a view that they would like coal-fired generation, and that's that. So I don't think that will swing it per se. Look, it's it's terribly difficult to to advance any investment 
large investment strategy, certainly fossil fuel investment strategy, on the basis of a large mass that's actually rotating because we have alternatives. We have uh, wind farms can provide it and all sorts of power devices can provide it and the, you know, there's a whole range of options now which are growing very rapidly. So um, I'd, be, I'd be very surprised if Emo said we need a shonking new great coal or gas fire generators to keep our power system stable. Mm. And, and Bruce, while you're there, we've also seen networks are part of high prices, and we've seen this uh, uh, abolition of appeal to the um, um, competition tribunal. I know you were part of the team that actually did some of the academic research for the or report on the first uh, uh, thing that led to review of the networks. What, what do you think about abolishing appeals to to the competition tribunal? Do you think it'll just mean more appeals directly to the federal court? Um, I think there's certainly a prospect of appeals to the federal court. I think it'll definitely make the path much more difficult. Um, I think it'll strengthen the regulator's hand in the sense that one of the biggest things with the appeals is they felt the need to demonstrate uh, that their decisions were solid to a tribunal. Um, and that always put them on the back foot. So I think taking that away strengthens their hand somewhat. I think if uh, if if a network wants to appeal, they certainly will. I think the politics of appealing is is dreadful, but the states still own a lot of the industry and they have very considerable interest in it. Um, personally, I think it's a little bit sad that it's got to this because a properly constructed merits review arrangement can be really quite sensible. Um, so. I'm sorry that the system was so badly abused and that the administrators were unable to allow it to evolve sensibly such that the Commonwealth eventually said, you know, we're going to step over this and just stop the whole thing altogether. Mm. David, um, any other news that we need to sort of um, touch on from the past week or so? I guess um, we've, we, we've t touched on most of them. Um, one of the things that comes to mind, and I guess we'll get confirmation this week, is the... Um, level of rooftop solar going above six gigawatts, which I guess is a landmark, really. I mean, it doesn't... Um, we've probably had another 100 megawatts installed over the past um, month. Um, but that's a significant landmark anyway. Um, and um, I think we heard from the Queensland that we flagged last week in... Um, sorry, the conference we flagged last week in Far North Queensland. Um, a lot of interesting talk about new solar farms up there. Um, anything else ca caught, your, caught your eye? Well, I was reading one of Bruce's reports where he talked about interconnectors versus batteries, which is, you know, I was down at a um, particular session, an innovation session, uh, for a couple of days in Adelaide. And I, I think interconnectors versus batteries is an absolutely fascinating topic. For, for my money, you need both. But I, again, I'd be, Bruce has done some work in this area and I'd be interested to hear whether, whether he thinks is, what's the best answer for South Australia? Should we have another interconnector? I mean, I personally think we a few more interconnectors, I, yeah, that's, I do believe, would be good for the, open up some renewable energy zones. And I'd also like to see somehow some more incentives for household batteries. I mean, we saw AGL abandoning their or, or, or postponing their pilot plant this week. Over to you, Bruce. Um, it, was, it, was, it was interesting because we heard some, um, I think, um, was it your report or was it another report um, immediately after Tasmania Hydro um, was talking about their new um, connector and someone suggesting that, um, that batteries might um, be more cost effective? 
Yeah, this is very interesting. That paper um, I, I wrote after a journal asked me to contribute a paper to a special issue coming out. Um, it's absolutely fascinating. At the time that I started that paper, the interconnector upgrade uh, was really talk of the town. A new study had been commissioned. From the time that I started it and finished it, Tesla had been announced and then the contract won. Um, there'll be arguments about the economics of network upgrades, interconnectors versus batteries. The fact of the matter is, in no time at all, a battery will be constructed and operating, and the interconnector is not even at the pre-feasibility, pre-regulatory test stage. Um, batteries just move a lot more quickly. You can disaggregate them, you can get them to be local, they can be sized up and scaled up over time, they can be much closer to the point of use and so on. The main point with that paper is that networks and batteries are now so heavily interlinked and uh, I think we should think about how you plan and contract for transmission augmentation now. I think the case for the separation of that is much stronger so that an entity that's able to choose between network upgrades and batteries can do it without having their finger in the pie of the network. Um, this is the model that we've had in, in Vic and I think has worked well uh, and um, is now increasingly commonplace elsewhere in the world and I think we need to think about this for the NEM. So that was the purpose of that paper. I think it's incredibly relevant and um, lots of money will be spent on both network interconnection and transmission upgrades and batteries. And I think getting the institutional arrangements for it right would be, would be an excellent thing to do. And will the consumer at the end of all this finally see some lower prices or is he just gonna be stuck with it even though we're moving to new technologies? Look, I think we are moving increasingly from a central only to decentral. I hear more and more cases of customers not just installing solar, but installing diesel gensets and they're doing local, you know, uh, changes to their load profile. It's increasingly a decentralized industry. I'm worried about, I'm worried about uh, the rate of consumption decline on the network exceeding the rate at which costs might move down. Um, we are seeing many positive factors on, on costs and prices. Solar is you know, cheaper and cheaper all the time. Batteries are coming down at a rate of knots. Um, but I think our central system is not getting any cheaper. So, um, uh, and that's and declining consumption will push the central system prices up. That's the that's the problem, and yet and yet, the hybrid models that we nearly all want do depend in part on the central system. So, I think we still need to think even harder about network pricing uh, going forward and how we're going to manage that in an era of declining central demand for central centrally provided services. Yeah, quite. I think well, it comes comes down I, to network write downs in the end, doesn't it? Yeah, quite. It, it's it's incredibly difficult. The parties that need to take the write down, or at least the largest write down, will be government, which will mean taking money effectively from from electricity consumers and putting it on taxpayers generally, uh, and that's very difficult to do. But there is no doubt that 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 is coming and I think mm -hmm. doing it sooner rather than later would be would be smarter and you know it's for households is one thing but as we know two-thirds of electricity is consumed by others than households 
And it's once those guys start moving into looking after self-generation that the pr- another wave of pressure will come onto the central system. Yes, mm. indeed. Absolutely. Hey, guys, look, this has been a fantastic discussion. We've actually gone on a fair bit um, over time. Um, I'm going to have to pull a, um, an end to it there. Um, so, look, thanks very much. Bruce, it's been uh, fantastic having you here. Um, thanks for joining us. Super, super. Thank you. And, David, once again, thank you very much. And um, we'll talk this time next week. Hopefully about a very encouraging AMO report. Hopefully indeed. Thank you for listening. Thanks to our sponsors and Solar Ray Energy and What Watchers. And um, please um, like and comment on our um, report uh, on, on our podcast. That helps it get uh, more lessons and um, tell everyone about it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Energy Insiders was brought to you by What Watchers makers of ultra-smart devices to manage electricity use and costs, accurately monitor and control electrical circuits over the internet in real time. Visit whatwatches.com.au and take control of your energy use. Energy Insiders is also sponsored by Solaray Energy, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring. They're the smart choice for consumers and business. Visit solaray.com.au and secure your energy future today.